first aid for the soul. And there's kind of six steps that I wanted to outline around this healing your heart during times of difficulty. Healing during the pandemic, healing during times of change or trauma. Step one is just awareness, pure and simple, just awareness. Acknowledging that, like we did, the cat went up the tree. You know, anytime we have traumatic events in the world or in our life, we bouge, we're the cat that immediately goes up the tree and it takes time. Bring the cat down from the tree and we just sit quietly at the base of the tree and wait. And that's enough. And we have a warm blanket and food. And the cat, your mind, your psyche will come back down and re-enter that still, quiet presence of you. But it takes awareness to know, wow, I'm, I'm up the tree. Or I have parts of me up the tree. I'm just letting things come back and settle. You don't chase the cat up the tree. You don't yell at it. When we go through tumultuous times, we just are the still quiet awareness, letting things settle. The other is grieving and acknowledging grieving. And I've already talked some about that, but that's really important. The first step in healing grief is to acknowledge loss. We don't acknowledge all the losses, the 2 million people dead, the 420,000 people just today in America dead, our own family members, our own losses of, you know, the things we've had to give up. We can't touch each other. We can't hug each other. You know, going to the store becomes like a death-defying event (laughs) to acknowledge the grief and the loss. And as a way that we can heal as a collective, as a Dharma family, as a world, as an individual. And, you know, rituals, rituals are a way that we heal grief, especially and trauma. So really make sure you look at what rituals you have in your life right now for healing grief and for regulating yourself. We need rituals. And of course, our rituals have changed because of COVID. So if you don't have rituals, have them in place. And it's really tricky with COVID because when people die, we we can't see them, we can't touch them. So we really have to be creative and um, diligent about making these rituals during this time period. Because when we have a ritual, it helps us not have what's called complicated grief. It helps us work with ambiguous loss. And what we have during this time period is just a series of ambiguous losses. And like I've said in a previous talk, ambiguous loss signals in your brain and body danger. When we can't have closure to things, 
it signals unsafety. So then we're in a constant state of unsafety and hypervigilance. So the second step in this first aid for the soul is rituals for grieving, for acknowledging change, for acknowledging loss. And, you know, you can figure out what those are going to be for you, but let's bring awareness to that we don't have those rituals, that we have this ambiguous loss, that we need to grieve, we need to come together, even if it's on a Zoom meeting, and acknowledge with a bell all the people that have died. Acknowledge with bells. Talk about it. And, um, Paul, you can go ahead and put up the trauma chart. Part of grieving and awareness, step one and two, <clears throat> is to look at this traumatic, this is like cultural trauma, not just personal trauma, but, you know, you've got the impact, you've got anger, frustration, loss of support, red tape, we all know about that with people trying to get unemployment benefits here in Hawaii obstacles, delays, we've got trigger events, working through the grief. And then, you know, as you see the red line on the right side, we've got obstacles, delays. It just keeps going until there's kind of a resolution, but we can be pulled back into these, this trough here of trigger events and frustration and loss of support and exhaustion and disappointment you pull back into that and then come out. And of course, in the beginning, we had that heroic feeling, the sense of altruism, and I'm going to make it through this. And, you know, now we're in this more difficult phase. And just, you know, I'm, I'm bringing up this trajectory of recovery chart, just, just again, so we can bring awareness to this is the process we're in. It's not a straight line. And Collective trauma and grief takes time and obstacles and delays are part of that and emotional highs and emotional lows are part of that. So when you look at this chart, we're in the emotional lows part, okay? That's not anybody's fault, but we're in that period where we're still working through it. We're still working through it. So thank you for the chart, Paul. So step three, when we have the awareness and the grieving and the rituals and the acknowledgement is compassion. Compassion for yourself. You know, if, if you've started overeating or drinking too much or getting angry at your spouse or your dog or irritable with strangers, I notice I get when people don't wear masks, I get I just like, ah, like I want to kill somebody, you know, because they're not wearing a mask. And it's like, really? It's it's wild to watch those parts. And just to acknowledge compassion is all right, this is my stress personality style. We we have our you know, Amida under stress and Amida in regular circumstances, and you've got yourself under stress. And it looks like this. So really as a practice, you just say, okay, anger looks like this. I'm so tired, I can't stand it, it looks like this. Frustration looks like this. 
and there's no judgment there. It's, it's a great practice just to go, oh, anger's like this. Fear is like this. Wow, where's the next money going to come from? Oh, fear's like this. Oh, I feel connected to everyone. Oh, that's connection is like this. And just watch, it's like waves. You're just coming in and out of these big waves of emotion constantly. And, and our job as Dharma practitioners is to have compassion for all of it. Oh, now I'm in an anger phase. Now I'm in a at my wit's end phase. Now I'm at now I'm in a loving kindness phase. And it's never all negative stuff. You you notice there's moments where you're like, wow. It's all too beautiful some days. You know, the silence and the lack of stimulation can be really great. We can see the benefits. So we're just here to be watching and to be learning. And like I said, as a practice, oh, this emotion right now is like this. No judgment. So compassion is... Step three in healing the soul, first aid for the soul. Step four is emptiness. Centered self. And how do you know you're in centered self? Um, in the internal family systems, they have this Thing called self, which is not anything in particular, but it has these eight what they call C's. And Paul, you can put up that slide. So you know, when we're in our non-triggered self, we're going to see the presence of these eight things. Compassion, creativity, courage, confidence, connectedness, calmness, clarity, and curiosity. We're going to get curious when we're in this place of empty calm. Our true nature is going to have these qualities. Curiosity, calm, clarity, connected, compassion. So you can take that down. Thank you. My teacher, um, this is a great example of this. I, I saw something on the island the other day that disturbed me, and um, I brought it to him because it was a situation where it seemed like somebody, it wasn't a child, so I didn't have to intervene, but something wasn't right, and someone was being victimized by somebody else. And so I asked my teacher, I said, well, you know, I was kind of outraged about it, and um, I said, what would you have done. And he said, oh, I would have walked up to the perpetrator, not the victim, the perpetrator, and said, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Is something wrong? Can I help you? To the person doing the crime. Now that's curiosity and compassion. And then he modeled when somebody really would meet him with that love and that emptiness, 
he modeled the person going, well, no, I'm not okay. Because if you really met that person with love and you asked them, are you okay? And they were hurting someone else, they'd be going, no, I'm not okay. And of course, in real time, it might be different and you just have to see, but it was such a message to me of that empty love, that embodiment of those eight C's. So emptiness is pretty simple. It's like we did in the first meditation, just letting yourself be the calm in the center of the storm. And the storm could be what's in the world out there. Oh my God, there's a riot in the Capitol. And then you look at the trees. Oh, the trees. Oh my God, da, 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 Whatever it is, right? There's always something. And then you look at the trees. Oh, but da 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 da, I won't ever be able to, this is going to be ruined. And then you look at the trees. That's emptiness. Whatever happens, it's like being attacked by the armies of Mara. The great stuff, the horrible stuff, your own mind, inner, outer. And then you look at the trees and then you're just here sitting under the tree, quiet presence. Emptiness means there's no movement no matter what happens. You're the center of the storm, of the storm of your own mind, of the storm of the worlds. And you, the great thing is you don't have to practice being the center. You always are it. It's not hard and it won't take your whole life. You always are this quiet center. There always is a center of the storm, even if you don't know it. And when you find yourself in the storm, ah, where's the center? Where's the quiet witness at the base of the tree? That's it. It's as simple as that. Doesn't matter what comes. Storm, horrible storm, your own stuff or the stuff of the world, you, you always have the ability to come back to the empty center sitting at the base of the tree. It's always now. It's always now. It's not later. Now, now, now. That's why, you know, when somebody's hurting another person, you, you'll know what to do like my teacher did. You'll know. There'll be a movement of love. And everything else, especially when your own mind's harassing you, which it does, your heart's still just sitting here going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And really, this is just a feedback loop. It really that what we call the ego or the mind, it's almost like a hall of mirrors where an echo starts and then it echoes off the echo, 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 echo. And so really, when we say come to your senses and we we come back to the body in the meditation, it's just because this is like an echo chamber and you're just, you're never going to find resolution. This, your mind will never become enlightened. Forget it. But this... It doesn't need to be enlightened. It already is. It already is here. Never left. And don't try to figure this out. <laughs> Just come back, come back. And have fun and realize what, what you are. It's almost like when we were born, our consciousness was just innocent. It was empty, right? It didn't have all this stuff in it. And then we, we showed up at this huge buffet that had a million foods. And you show up with your plate, right? And you start to put things on your plate that represent you. Oh, well, now I'm a woman. And now I'm you know a white woman, right? And now I belong to this family and da, 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 da. And pretty soon you have this whole plate of food that maybe other people, you know, in your family have put stuff on your plate and your culture has put stuff on your plate of food. <laughs> and, you know, when we meet people and when we are in life, we're, we're handing everyone this plate of food, right? And my friend Akaika here, he might have Lao Lao on his plate. Or, you know, my culture, we don't have that. So I have corn on the cob. But we all just chose this food as, as ourself, or it was put there by default. But remember, it was a huge banquet of nothing less than everything. And you showed up and this is your plate of food. So don't take it super seriously. And does it represent us? And yes, but remember, it's just the plate of food we chose. We are the banquet. We are every food in the universe and the world. So the key is to keep remembering that, even though you walk around with this as me. You're everything. And nothing. So step five, first aid for the soul. Knowing what the gift is when we've had difficulty or trauma, it could be personal. It's all of the things that are going on now. What's the gift? And, you know, I'm eternally curious. I was born this way. They used to make fun of me as a kid. <laughs> I was always asking questions. Why? Why? What's God? Well, why do you say that? So I got curious the other day on Facebook and I decided to ask people what, what are the gifts of the pandemic for you? Like I know what some, a lot of the problems are. We all know what the problems are. What are the gifts? So I wanna just read for you some things that people said. The gifts of the pandemic, deeper comfort with uncertainty. 
I can be okay even when I'm not okay. To be kind even when it's hard. Needing less than I thought. Time to be in stillness, solitary walks, forest bathing, resilience. I'm better at washing my hands, one person wrote. <laughs> Slowing down. Nature is everything. Family and friends are everything. There is no other. There is no other. Working at home, sleeping more. My dog is happier. Patience for standing in lines and patience for listening to others' complaints. The value of hugs. The value of human connection. I learned to play the guitar. I went back to school. I lost weight. I started quilting. I started painting again. Needing less than I thought, I can be okay even when I'm not okay. Nature and family and friends are everything. So see the gifts as step five, healing your soul, the gift, the gift, the gift. Love has so many layers to it. It's layer upon layer upon layer of love. This computer we're looking at, the metal and the earth, the people that mind it, the people that put it together, all of us. I mean, there's so many layers of love here. It, it's just incomprehensible. The universe that created the metal that was in the earth to do our computer. I mean, oh my God, you, you couldn't, you, only your heart can get it. Only your heart. And I, I just want to share, um, because I've, I had um, the first round of the vaccination, and because I'm a healthcare worker, I was allowed to get it earlier here in Hawaii, and someone offered me the opportunity, so I took it. And if you get a vaccination, I mean, don't have any political views about this, but there are so many layers of love when you go get your vaccination. It, it's just mind boggling. So, you know, we drive, I'm with friends who are other healthcare workers and we drive up and there's national guard and everybody's a volunteer that you see. They're all volunteering their time out of love to get us vaccinated. So you drive up and there's this wonderful national guard man and he's so kind and then you wait in line and the fire truck guys were there and it was like a big party of cars and everyone was happy. 
And as we're sitting there, we're playing music and we're welcoming in the vaccine because, you know, it's a spirit medicine. We're saying, you know, it's welcome to come into my body. Do your work. You're welcome here. And we're doing that. And all of a sudden it just came to me like the people that worked tirelessly to make this vaccine. And there were hundreds of people in this arena that were, you know, when we drove up our car, then they took our forms and then they were waiting on us and then they gave us the shot. And it was just these layers and layers of love. And when you get your vaccine, you'll be able to see it. The people that went to work to figure it out, hour after hour, sleepless nights, the people that put it out. And yes, there's a pharmaceutical company behind it. That's part of the layers, isn't it? <laughs> and the nurse that gave me the shot and the people that wait 15 minutes to make sure nothing bad happens. It's just all aloha. If you, if you choose to see it that way, if you choose to see it that way, layers of love. So for me, the gratitude, um, I did a, a short poem about the pandemic called The Fire of the Pandemic. And this is my gratitude poem or gift, the gift. After the fire, only ashes and devastating loss. Our hearts torn asunder, dreams, hopes, people, places, things, disfigured and destroyed. We are only ever just here. Any idea of getting and owning and keeping was only that, an idea. Even acquiring wisdom, experience, or learning from this, yet another castle of sand. Nothing means nothing. The fire of truth. If you have been ravaged by the pandemic, allow the grief to open up a space where eternity can pour in and the night sky full of stars becomes your body, brain, heart, and soul. Here, my friend, is love. So step six, the last step of healing your soul, first aid for the soul, is to use difficult times to catapult you to the next level of the truth. That's the point of it. Pain brings realization and truth. Look at Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Look at the Holocaust survivors. Pain catapults us to our deepest being, to the truth. It's not just a tide pool of endless suffering that we're meant to float in or get pulled down under and barely breathing. It's here for us to learn and go to the next level of awareness and love. 
And like I said, your mind's not going to become enlightened. Your mind, the spiritual path and the journey, the seeker, it's all just for the mind. It's all just through the mind. So the mind can wear itself out because the mind thinks it's in charge. The mind thinks it's the boss. It's not. And it needs a long time to figure it out, especially my mind. It's very stubborn. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm going to get enlightened. No, I'm the boss. No, I'm the seeker. No, I'm the, no, I'm the, no, I'm the. And finally, you know, 37 years, (laughs) the mind gets a little tired of that game. And eventually the mind just gives itself up, surrenders. The mind is what reincarnates over and over and over and over and over and over again because the mind can't get enlightened. But the heart, beautiful thing is, how many lifetimes has your heart had? Your heart of hearts? Zero. Zero. Your mind might have had a million lifetimes. Habit being reborn. Your heart always at zero, here, now, forever awake. Your heart's never been unawakened, okay? And you might have to just trust me on that. Heart's never been unawakened. So even the spiritual journey, the psychological journey, some therapists might hate me for saying this, but it's just the, the mind and conditioning needs to wear itself out. So then the heart can just, hey, I'm here. I've always been here. <laughs> and then the body will find follow what's ever predominant. You know, your body follows your mind. You know, eat this, do that, exercise more, meditate more. You know, your mind's like a drill sergeant with your body. Well, eventually, you'll see this more and more as the heart takes over. Everything just relaxes in your poor body. (laughs) Your body's like, oh, thank God it's quiet now. You stop ordering yourself around or screaming at yourself like a drill sergeant. It's really a transfer of power, and then your body's following this rather than that. So it's kind of um, this catapulting to the next level in step six. It's really a level of being the heart, being love, being what you're already are in this chatter just takes almost like a backseat and and internal families work they have, you have parts step back. It's almost like your whole head, your whole mind system. It's a system, right? An ego mind system. It's like you take off a mask and that just relaxes back. It's still here, but it's not you anymore. And then there's a leading with this and just an embodiment of this being love. And it's a direct access. And you know, it's what we've always been. I had a, a boyfriend in college and his, his parents, his mom really delighted in telling the story how when he was really young, 
uh, for many years, actually, uh, like, I don't know, three to six or something, he would just walk up to anybody, strangers and go, I love you. I love you. <laughs> and, you know, now he's a corporate lawyer and he learned not to do that. <laughs> but that little kid's still in there. And, you know, Byron Katie, when she first had her blowout awakening, she'd walk up to people in downtown New York and she'd go up to each person. She'd go, why are you pretending not to know or love me? It's the same thing. We're back to just being that spontaneous love of that little kid going, I love you. You don't even know the person. I love you. Of course they do. So it's that being love and it's all the ways we muzzled that, you know, my, my partner who learned to be a corporate lawyer, he doesn't do that. But you know, we don't have to be saying that to everyone, but we can be being it silently. That's the embodiment of meta and this catapulting to the next level. The catapult is being this. There's nothing else to be. So I wrote a book about a woman named Deepama Barua, and she, she was the embodiment of being loved. Through the practice, she became, she was a very anxious person originally. And through her anxiety left her. And then she was just this embodiment of love. And um, I'm going to tell a story about her. Um, she, she brought love into the community where she lived. And Paul, go ahead and put the picture up. So this is the street um, outside of where her apartment was. It's just down the street from where she lived. This is what it looked like outside of her apartment. Many, many people out there. And her apartment was a poor apartment. And there were lots of people there um, there was lots of um, bickering and alcohol and spousal abuse. There was a lot of problems in that apartment when she first moved in. And um, I'm going to read, and we can keep this slide up, Paul, but I'm going to read what happened when Deepama came to this apartment building. She, she moved from Burma back to India. And um, this is what happened, and th these were some of the people that were outside her apartment or maybe even inside that building. And this story is told by Jack Engler. When Deepama first moved into her apartment complex, it was pretty noisy and contentious place with a lot of bickering, arguing, and yelling among tenants, amplified by the open courtyard. Everyone knew everyone else's business because it was being shouted back and forth all the time. Within six months of her moving in, the whole place had quieted down 
and people were starting to get along with each other for the first time. Her presence and the way she dealt with people, quietly, calmly, gently treating them with kindness and respect, setting limits, and challenging their behavior when necessary out of a simple concern for everyone's welfare, not out of anger or desire for her personal comfort. This set an example and made it impossible to carry on in the angry, contentious way they had before. It was the simple force of her presence in that building. You couldn't act like that around her. You just didn't. So you can take down the slide. And you know, in her apartment, there were lots of people that never even came to see her in that big apartment building. They never even saw her, but she had an effect on the whole complex and possibly to the street outside because she was being this love and being this rather than that. And people knew that and they felt that and it changed them. So this catapulting to the truth in step six, it's really the heart now, the heart now, the, the empty, still, true nature heart now. That's it. Being the presence of love and not muzzling that little child that says, I love you. Just being it with everyone you meet. And it's not a practice. It's something that you are. And as this moves back here, more and more you take off these masks, it'll just shine like the sun. It'll just shine. The sh sun shines on everyone equally. So your heart is a great example of the sun. And often, you know, in a lot of songs, they refer to this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. You're the heart, the light. So good analogy for this loving kindness is the sun of your heart. And it shines on everyone equally. Doesn't matter. I like this person. I don't like, you know, your brain's saying I like, I don't like, I want, I don't want. But the sun, meanwhile, this, meanwhile, is shining on everyone equally. The worthy, the unworthy. Now, what do they say in the Metta Sutta? The small, the massive, the quivering, <laughs> the unborn. This little light of mine shines on everyone equally. And you know, if you go through phases where you think I've got it, I've lost it, that's just here. This, this doesn't have it or lose it. This never has it, this never loses it, zero, zero.
don't play the game of I got it, I lost it. That's this part. You can just let that relax back. And, you know, during the pandemic, we have parts that we want to figure this out or the, the capital riots, you know, we want to figure it all out. I have a friend who's studying history now, which is not a bad thing, but we have parts that want to figure it out. We won't ever figure it out. We won't ever figure it out. Just let that relax. And the sun shines equally on all things, whether we figure it out, whether we can understand it, whether we think we've got it, we get it, whether we think we're loving being a bodhisattva, a Buddha, or not, we're the worst person on the face of the earth, whether we think it's not about what we think, it's about what you are. So just two more quick things. One thing that helped me on the self-retreat, I've been on a self-retreat this month, is I kind of had the question and it, it helped me, which was, um, what is it that can last for all eternity? What is it that doesn't need to wake up? I know those are different questions, but I'm just throwing out kind of a composite. What is it that can be infinite and eternal? What is it can be infinite and eternal? Well, obviously it's not your thoughts. We, we don't want those to be infinite and eternal. It's not your emotions. It's not your body. So keep going. Take it off. Take it off. What, 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 can, what could be has the ability to be infinite and eternal. And you keep taking off. Well, what about my perception? No, my perception of me, infinite, eternal, Ooh, no. The perception and keep going. And then you'll come to this singularity, this thing that has the ability to be infinite, eternal, never born, never dies, as you. So have fun. If that's a question that you find useful, I find it to be helpful. Because I've been seeking enlightenment. You know, I've always doing the enlightenment thing in different degrees for 37 years. So it was like, well, what doesn't need to become enlightened? <laughs> And then you'll you'll see. So I'm like to close with um, it's a YouTube um, read of a poem by Marie Howe. She's reading her own poem, and there's a little introduction to it. So bear with it, called the Singularity. So go ahead, Paul. Let me think. Um, when I was talking with Maria uh, about doing something this evening, I just jotted something in my journal, really. And um, I told her I wanted to read Walt Whitman, and, uh, but, but 
I just sort of sent this, really, this thing, too. And she said, oh, read that, read that. And I said, I don't know. Usually I wait about 10 years before I read anything out loud. And this has been about a week. Anyway, I don't know anything about science. I've tried to read these books. My daughter, however, loves physics. I don't understand that. Um, but I was trying to get her to explain to me what the singularity is. And I was reading Hawkins, of course, and then I was trying to read Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by, by Neil deGrasse Tyson. I, I said to her a few weeks ago, I don't believe in the Big Bang. And she said, you don't? I said, no. It's impossible. Who here really believes that we were all, everything that ever is, was once a singularity so dense it was one thing before it blew up. Raise your hands. Okay. See, just like not that many over there. So here it is, the singularity. Do you sometimes want to wake up to the singularity we once were? so compact nobody needed a bed or food or money nobody hiding in the school bathroom or home alone pulling open the drawer where the pills are kept for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you Remember, there was no nature, no them, no tests to determine if the elephant grieves her calf or if the coral reef feels pain. Trashed oceans don't speak English or Farsi or French. Would that we could wake up to what we were when we were ocean. And before that, when earth was sky, and animal was energy, and rock was liquid, and stars were space, and space was not at all, nothing. Before we came to believe humans were so important, before this awful loneliness. Can molecules remember it? What once was before anything happened? Can our molecules remember? No I, no we, no one, no was, no verb, no noun yet but only a tiny, 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 tiny dot brimming with is, 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 all, everything, home. Thank you.
So there we have it. Let's just sit for a minute. Letting yourself be in the heart. The stillness is, is, is home. You're it. You are the singularity. Here now. Always. Always.